I was on an international call this week with people from all over our country in Haiti, and somewhere in the conversation it was said, this current generation of Haitians have forgotten how to raise coffee. Their grandparents knew and practiced coffee farming, but this current generation has forgotten. God has blessed them with abundance. They have an abundance of good land, a chalky white limestone land, perfect alkaline blend. They have an abundance of sunshine. Most of their days are sunny and bright. They have an abundance of rain. There's never a shortage of rain in the mountains. But they have forgotten that God has blessed them. They have forgotten that God gives abundance. And they have forgotten how to farm. If a farmer wants to grow a whole field of corn here, If a farmer wants to grow a whole field of corn here, he's not going to take this whole corn cob and plant it in the ground. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't be feasible. What you have to do is take each kernel off of this corn cob and plant them in a row in the ground. So the question is, how do we multiply a kernel? Let's take a look at the math. Let's say you take just one kernel off an ear of corn. You want to invest that kernel by planting it in the ground. It takes about 60 to 90 days for that seed to grow into a stalk of corn. But on that stalk of corn is three ears of corn, and each ear has about 300 kernels, or 900 kernels for the three ears. Let's say you take from your harvest and you take just 10 kernels and plant them in the ground. The yield on that 10 seed is 10 stalks with three ears of corn, each or 9,000 kernels. Let's say you take from your harvest just 100 kernels and you plant them once again. Your harvest will be 90,000 kernels of corn. There is an emerging pattern. There is a disproportionate return on your investment. Because if you sow generously, you will also reap generously. Amen. When I heard the Haitians had forgotten how to farm, I knew what God wanted me to say to you this morning. That we also have forgotten how to farm. Your parents, my parents, your grandparents, my grandparents knew something about farming. About 70% of the American population at the turn of the century lived on farms, but now only about 7% live on farms. Our grandparents knew something about seed and seasons and soil and the sun. Their well-being was connected to the land. <clears throat> With zest and vigor, they broke up the hardened soil. I have a vision in my mind of my grandfather behind the plow breaking up that hardened soil. And they plowed and they plowed until the soil was softened. It was ready. They knew the power and the potential of the seed. And they kept back some of the last harvest for seed. And when the time was right, they took that seed reverently and placed it into the soil. Taking a big risk, waiting upon the rains and the sun to make the seed grow. They knew it would take about 60 to 90 days 
for the corn seed to produce a corn stalk with three years of corn. And when the harvest would come, they would rejoice. If you've ever been around a corn harvest time, it's a time of rejoicing. In a good year, they had plenty of corn to put upon their tables, buttering them and salting them for taste. They had plenty of corn to cut off the cob and make into cream corn, which I think is one of the greatest things ever invented. They had plenty of corn to keep for their chickens. They had plenty of corn to sell for high fructose syrup. <laughs> if you've never been in I Iowa, you know what I'm talking about. They had plenty of corn to give away and bless somebody. Our parents, our grandparents knew something about farming, but I'm afraid we've forgotten. If you have a Bible, we can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. Our parents knew the law of investment. <clears throat> See, what happened down in Haiti is that their grandparents knew how to plant coffee in the mountains. They knew how to compost. They knew how to enrich the soil. They knew how to break up the heart and soil. They knew how to plant the coffee seed and wait until the coffee cherry was ripe. They knew how to harvest and how to process and how to bring the coffee to market. But this generation of Haitians has forgotten how to farm. They have become impoverished. They have become dependent on other sources for their income. They don't have much hope for the future. They try to exist from day to day. They live with a mindset of scarcity. They have forgotten God and the abundance of our God, that God has blessed them with abundant land, that God has given to them abundant sunshine, and God has given them abundant rain in the mountains. This week, we verbally entered into an agreement with Food for the Hungry and Just Haiti to identify 25 to 50 subsistence farmers living in the Belladere region. We will get to know their names and their families, and we'll explain to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we will incarnate the love of Jesus to these families. We'll help them form into a trade association. And then we'll bring in an agronomist who will show them over the course of two to five years how to bring their coffee to export grade quality. And when they do, we'll pay them the international fair trade price for coffee last year, $2.10. We'll airlift the coffee out of Haiti to Baltimore where it will be roasted and packaged and distributed. And when the coffee is sold here, we'll send the profits back last year, $5, to Belladere. There will come a day when the kids will have schools. There will come a day when the children will no longer live in slavery or sex trafficking. There will come healing and restoration to that land because they're going to learn again how to farm. They and we together will learn the law of investment. It goes like this. A man reaps what a man sows. If a man sows sparingly, a man will reap sparingly. If a woman sows sparingly, so shall she reap sparingly. But if somebody sows abundantly, they will also reap abundantly. Simply put, if you do not sow, you do not reap. But if you do sow, you will reap accordingly. If you sow a little, you will reap a little. If you sow a lot, you will reap a lot. If you sow discipline into your children's life, you will reap a well-behaved child. 
If you sow love into your children, you will reap security. If you sow tenderness into your little ones, you'll reap sensitivity. If you show them how to do it and hold them accountable, you will reap responsibility. If you sow empowerment, you will reap confidence. If you sow a work ethic, you will reap somebody who can take care of themselves and their families for a lifetime. I know a father who has sowed love into his daughter, as many fathers here have. When his daughter was little, her favorite time of day was when daddy came home. She used to say, daddy, 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 and she'd come running to his arms. She would sit on her daddy's lap and she would sing songs to her daddy. Well, the family went on vacation and they were camping at a national park. And when they arrived, her daddy said to her, honey, here's $20. It can be used for souvenirs or for snacks, but it's all you get. And if you use your $20, you've used up all your spending money. He was trying to create a firm boundary. So within seconds, his daughter had now gone into a gift shop where there are all different kinds of souvenirs and things to buy. And she saw there on the shelf a hat. And she said to her daddy, she said, Daddy, do you like this hat? He said, Honey, I love the hat. It's a great hat. But don't spend all your money here. You know, save your money. Wait until a propitious time. Maybe we'll find that same hat on sale. She said, Daddy, is this my money or yours? She said, I want to spend all $20 on this hat. And the daddy said, are you sure? She said, yes, I want to spend the entire $20. So the hat was put into a little paper bag, and she put it into her book bag, and they went for a family hike. They came back to eat dinner together, and sometime after dinner, she reached into her book bag. She took out her paper bag, and she handed her dad the hat. She said, Daddy, this is for you. This is your birthday present, and I love you. That is that guy's favorite hat. Because she was sowed into so very generously, he reaped a very generous harvest. You see, if we sow a lot of love, we will reap a lot of love. Let me just bring it home to you. The principle is true in the financial as well as in the agriculture area. If we don't ever sow our financial resources that God has given us, we will never ever reap a return. But if we do, we'll get the joy of sowing and the joy of reaping. We saw last week the testimonies from the Amazon, the Amazon Medical Mission. We heard about a church being built a prophecy being fulfilled, a prayer, pastor's prayer being answered. We heard about little children being loved on. We saw medical camps happening. You know how that all began? There was a person who gave their resources to buy a barge, a ship, the chosen vessel. And he said that you can let the money come out of your hand, but the money will never leave God's control. All of that happened because somebody decided to be generous. The generosity of God flowed from him to him and out of him, making available that vessel for God's work. Let me ask you a question. Into what, into whose life are you sowing? 
Do you have a marriage, a relationship that you're sowing into? I know of a man, his wife had just driven through a bunch of bugs. Her windshield had become sort of littered with bugs. And so when they talked on the phone, she told him about her windshield and her inability to stop at the gas station to clean it off. The man said to his son, son, we're going to take a little drive. And he gave the son some Windex and some paper towels. And the son said, Dad, where are we going? He said, we're going to clean a windshield. And he headed out to clean his wife's windshield with his son. Tell me what you're sowing into. Do you have a child, a grandchild that you're sowing into? Are you sowing into an education? Some of our college students have left. Many of our public school students begin school again tomorrow. Tell me, are you sowing into your education? Do you realize that whatever you sow, you also will reap? That if you sow diligence into your schoolwork, someday you will reap the harvest. But if you sow into television, you will go down in history. You'll also go down in English. You'll also go down in Matthew. See, whatever a man sows into, that also will he reap. Are you sowing into your career, staying relevant and current, bringing your very best every day? Are you sowing into a sport? You coaches should know that every practice and every game and every player, you're sowing seed into that person's life. And you players should know also that, every, um, that you've been given a talent by God. And you're to cultivate that talent with human effort to maximize that talent for God. There is a law of investment, an incontrovertible law that we live by. But let me also say that God himself has practiced the law of investment. In your Bible, if you turn to Matthew 25, verse 14, that God has sown into us. Some of you remember the parable of the talents. A very wealthy man was about to go on a very long journey. And the very wealthy man here is God himself. And the long journey is going from earth back to heaven. And great was the wealth of this man, so great that he had talents to distribute. A talent is 15 years wage. This man was so exceedingly wealthy that he entrusted to his first servant five and to his second servant two and to his third servant one talent. And the reason the wealthy man entrusted his talents to his three servants is that they might invest what the master had given to them. You could say that this was the opportunity of a lifetime to realize that the master is the owner and that we are the stewards of all that he has entrusted to us. This was their opportunity to take initiative and risk in the marketplace, perhaps to find a good parcel of land, to get some good seed to sow, to hire some good workers to work the field, and to reap a productive harvest. This was the chance of a lifetime. These servants had been carrying out the master's orders their lives had been predictable and safe and routine. They had very little authority and resources. But the master called them into his office, and he looked at the servants, perhaps with a twinkle in his eye. <laughs> and now he's entrusting his talents into their safekeeping. If I were one of those servants, I might have said, I can't believe the trust you're putting in me. I can't believe how much faith you have in me. I can't believe this opportunity. 
So what did the servants do with their talents? Well, it says that the one given the five talents put them to work at once. He realized he was given an opportunity and nothing was going to interfere with this opportunity. He wasn't going to get sidetracked or distracted. Now, this part of the story has some implications for us. First of all, Jesus has made an entrustment of talents to us. Every person here has a gift. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have a gift. We are all gifted by God. We're all equipped and expected to contribute. And every gift has been chosen by the master. In place of the talent, you may use the word life. Every person here has been given life. Your mind and your abilities and your talents and your spiritual gifts and your body and your money and your will. So everybody gets to make a contribution with their life. Between this day and your last day, you will invest your life in something. The question is, what will you give your life to? And is it worth the investment? There's an important part to this story. Not only do we have a God who gives gifts to us, but Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to settle up the accounts. And this is the question he's going to ask. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the talents I gave you? What did you do with the abilities I gave to you? What did you do with the resources I entrusted unto you? I invested in your life that you might invest in my kingdom. And there was a third servant who did nothing. The first two servants, given to according to their ability, they went to work at, they went to work at once and they invested and they multiplied their master's resources. But there was a servant who did absolutely nothing. He said, I know you're a hard man. You harvest where you haven't sown. And I know you gather where you haven't scattered. The third servant was absolutely lazy with the resources given to him. You know, the centerpiece in American life now is the HDTV. If you want to create a crisis in a family... Just walk into the house and put the remote in your pocket. Because people will say, where's the remote? I'm not sure the average American family can function without a television. And you know what sits right in front of the television? The lazy boy recliner. Think about it. We have a culture that has become addicted to television. And we sit in our lazy boy recliners. I think this parable is speaking to us. I think God is calling us from our lazy boy into action. This is the hour for the church to arise. This is the hour for the church to awaken. This is the moment you need to realize that God has made an investment in you, that God is the ultimate investment banker, and he's made an entrustment to you. He's given to you talents He's given to you abilities. He's given to you resources. But what are you doing with the resources that God has given you? What are you doing with the talents he's entrusted to you? What are you doing with the abilities that you have? Are you sowing some seed? If you sow some seed into the children, you'll raise up leaders for God.
If you sow some seed into the broken, you'll see restoration happen in their lives. If you sow some seed in those relationships, those relationships will become strong and healthy. God has called us to sow the seed. And the second law that emerges from the text is right there in verse number 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not to give reluctantly or begrudgingly or compulsively, for God loves a cheerful giver. Giving should not be like paying a bill. (laughs) You know, you get a bill and you have to pay it. You have an obligation. You have interest added if you don't pay it. Giving isn't like that. By the way, there's three rules of credit cards. I didn't invent these, I just found these. The first rule is you should only use a credit card if you have one to cover budgeted expenses. Secondly, you need to pay that credit card off at the end of the month. And if you violate number one and number two, you need to cut up that credit card. (laughs) And giving is not something we do out of obligation, not begrudgingly, not reluctantly. This kind of giving is sort of like I don't want to be seen giving nothing, so I'll reach into my pocket and find the smallest bill, and I'll drop the smallest bill into the offering plate because I'm kind of giving reluctantly or begrudgingly. A story is told of a man who lived in Scotland who reached into his pocket and discovered there in his pocket he had two coins. One was a penny and one was a gold crown. What he meant to give was the penny but what he gave was the gold crown. And when he realized his mistake, he reached into the offering plate to extract the gold crown. The usher said to him, once in, always in. And the man said, well, at least in heaven I'll get credit for giving the gold crown. And the usher said, no, in heaven you'll get credit for the penny because that was what's in your heart to give. You see, God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outside appearance. And giving, generosity flows from the heart. Each should give what he's decided in his heart to give. Do you know that six families this week received groceries from our food pantry because you were generous? And more than 300 families every day are fed meals at the rescue mission because you were generous. Giving must flow from the heart. We give because we've been given to. We give because God has lavished his grace upon us. We give because God has been gracious to us. Giving is a decision at the very heart level. You see, many in America have made choices with their money and now have no capacity to give. What I'm praying for in our church is a spirit of generosity that begins individually, becomes a movement of generosity flowing to our community, and then a flood tide of generosity that sweeps through our world. I've mentioned to you Michael Dixon before, and I believe that Michael does have a spirit of generosity. He was featured in that video. Michael and his wife, Michelle, they are farmers, and they run a farmer's market. When somebody comes with a WIC coupon, Michael doubles the produce they receive. He takes the produce to people's homes throughout the weekend, 70 families in the Waverly and Hillcrest neighborhoods. So last Saturday, we were doing a picnic, and there were a number of the residents of Hillcrest who were there at Hill Park. And so we were cooking up some hot dogs and hamburgers and corn and cantaloupe. It was 
glorious event. But there are only so many book bags available, only a few book bags, and there are a lot of kids there. So one little kid came to Michael and began tugging at his trousers, saying, Farmer, can I have a book bag? Now, I think at first, Michael tried to ignore him, and he said again, Farmer, can I have a book bag? He said, We only have so many book bags, and there's a lot of kids, but we have a lottery system. And those chosen by the lottery will get a book bag. So probably nobody in the audience paid more attention, this little boy, to the, name, to the numbers being called. And one time, his number was one off. And I began to advocate for him. He, he was a seven. It's called an eight. And the eight isn't here. And Michael says his number wasn't called. So at the end of the event, he came up to Michael and said, Farmer, I'd like to have a book bag. I'd like to have a book bag. I like his childlike faith. Asking and asking and asking again, believing that Michael had the capacity to give him a book bag. Well, this tugged at Michael and Michelle's heart. And they said to the little boy, you know, if you'll come back next Wednesday to Hillcrest to back to school supply day, we're having a farmer's market. And if you'll come back with your mom, you'll have a book bag. Well, the little boy came back looking for Michael. <laughs> and Michael said to the little boy, do you like Spider-Man? And the little boy said, I do. I like him a lot. He says, I've got a Spider-Man book bag just for you. At that same event, as you know, I've been trying to take this plunge into generosity, this generosity experiment, sort of listening to what the Spirit is saying and needs to present themselves. There was a woman who was there, and she had a tube coming out of her chest. I said to her, have you been to the hospital? She said, yes, I've just started chemotherapy. So we were helping her get her vegetables. She had cabbages and potatoes. But by this time, they'd run out of watermelons. And she kept saying to me, don't you have any watermelons left? And I said, no, we have other things. She said, but I really wanted a watermelon. I really wanted a watermelon. I said, watermelon is beautiful because it cleanses you. It just makes you feel good inside. And so I, by then, Karen Raymond had come, and we prayed over her. I said, do you know our God who can heal you and help you? She said, I don't know God. God and I aren't really on good terms right now. But she kept saying to me, I really want to have a watermelon. So I felt as if this was the Spirit of God saying to me, "Our your assignment is to get this woman a watermelon. <laughs> so I asked where the closest grocery store was, and somebody told me about Aldi's. But I cannot tell you the joy that I had as I drove, drove over the hill and walked into the store and found a seedless watermelon. As I put it into my car, I drove back to her neighborhood, I knocked on her door, and I presented her seedless watermelon. You see, God really loves a cheerful giver. And each person has to decide in their heart what they truly want to give. Giving will always be the issue of the heart. But the question then becomes, what if I tap out? What if I run out? What if there is nothing left to give? That's why the scripture teaches us now the law of supply. That God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That you having all sufficiency, having all your needs met, may abound to every good work. You see, when we give our first fruits to God, 
We bring God the tithe, the offering. The promise says when we honor the Lord and bring the first to him, our barns will be filled and our vats will overflow with new wine. We have received this grace of God. We have been blessed of God. And now we get an opportunity to bless him. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We give to God first. We put his kingdom work before anything else. I love to do what I do because I love to see God working in people's lives. I believe in the church because when the church is firing on all cylinders, there is nothing like the church bringing hope to this world. Because you gave, we're able to give a vacation Bible school this summer. Because you gave, we have this awesome youth group. Talk about investing in the next generation, raising up leaders for God. Because you gave, we have a school in Ingamutu, Bangui, Central African Republic, where children today will get food and education. You see, because you gave, people are finding hope, and students are finding purpose, and children are being established in the faith, and the poor are being helped. The law of supply simply says this, that God will make his grace abound towards you, that God has common grace for your common needs, that God has extraordinary grace for your extraordinary needs, that God has salvation grace sufficient for all, and that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. You and your life may face limitations, but God himself is unlimited. You may run out, but God's supply will never run out. You know, there came a time when they ran out of wine, but Jesus took the water and made abundant wine. There came a time when the people were hungry, only too low two fish and five loaves, and Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish. You see, our God is a God with great abundance. I live in a neighborhood, and we have a source of water. I simply turn on the faucet, and the water begins to flow. Well, not far from my house is a pump house, and beneath the pump house is an aquifer of water, a reservoir of water. To my knowledge, the water to my house has never run dry. There has always been an adequate supply, such that when the faucet is on, the water is running. In that aquifer is thousands upon thousands of gallons of water. There are 444 houses in my neighborhood supported by that reservoir. There also is a golf course beside my neighborhood supported by that reservoir. We've got so much water that the water runs from my neighborhood up Braddock Mountain to the church. What I'm saying is, that the God of the universe is the God who supplies. Your supply is not your employer. Your supply is your provider. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Imagine for a moment you're in the throne room of God and there's the treasury room of God and the king hears a request from one of his people. So he reaches into that treasury room and he supplies the need to his people such that we have sufficiency for every need, that we may abound to every good work. 
And what happens when you give is it awakens a sense of thanksgiving in God's people. Praises rise up from God's people and prayers are made on behalf of you. I was walking along a river in India. I was prompted to awaken one morning very early. So I went to a vegetable fruit dealer and I basically bought all the stuff he had. I came to a family. I was praying in the spirit, praying over which family I would give this stuff to. So when I gave all that I had to this family, this person and I could not communicate, but he took his hand to his chest like this and he pointed his finger toward heaven and he pointed his finger then toward me. He knew that God in heaven had seen his need and there was a thanks being offered to God, a praise to God and perhaps a prayer for me who is used by God to deliver this food to his family. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, you are such a great supplier and provider. You are so generous with your measure. There are no limitations to what you promise to supply to your children. You say you are able to make all grace abound towards us. You sow so generously into us, giving us life and gifts and abilities and resources. But let me ask you a question, and I want you to ponder the question in a spirit of prayer. Into whose life are you sowing? What are you sowing your resources into? Are you cultivating that talent and ability that God has given to you? Are you pouring your resources into someone else? Whose life are you sowing into? Whose life are you pouring into? Let me ask you another question. How are we withholding the sowing of this precious seed? We know the seed has potential and the seed has power and the seed has life. Who, God, do you want me to sow this seed into? True is the law of the harvest, that whatsoever a man sows, that also will he reap. If he sows sparingly, he will reap sparingly. But if he sows abundantly, as you have sowed so abundantly into us, so the promise is we will reap abundance. God, your desire is to pour abundance into each of our lives. Abundant peace abundant joy, abundant health. So God, enable your people to be generous. Father, may the mindset of abundance come upon us. May we forsake the mindset of scarcity, trying to hold on, trying to hold back, trying to withhold. And may we open our hands and open our hearts to see that the fields are white under harvest that, God, you want us to see an abundant harvest happen in our own community. Give to us a spirit of generosity. Then develop a movement of generosity amongst us, and then a flood tide of generosity flowing from our hearts to our community, to our world. God, this is our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name.